I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. You know, there are fights going on in many, many school districts around America. And in fact, some of them have become national issues uh, like Loudoun County, Virginia, where you saw fights over the fact that... Uh, Parents were having the information withheld from them about what was going on with their kids and about predators who were being allowed back into the schools. But here in the Pacific Northwest, a fight went on in one community in Newburgh, Oregon, that I thought has been fascinating to follow and more than a little bit disappointing because the community finally had had enough of the political, the politicking that was being done by teachers, bringing BLM and pride flags and Antifa flags and their own personal politics into the classroom, which I think is completely inappropriate. Uh, if you're a parent who thinks it's appropriate, I'd be glad to take you as a naysayer caller. And they said, okay, we're going to elect some people to the school board, and we're going to change the direction of the schools. Well, that was pushed back by both the teachers' unions and their political allies, and it, 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 at least at this point, it appears that the woke crowd has won that fight, and the teachers and the parents and the taxpayers and, and regular citizens have lost that fight, sadly. And one of the people who's followed it most closely is Yamhill County Commissioner Mary Sterrett, who joins me now and a longtime friend of the show. Mary, welcome back. Thanks a lot, Lars. And, and absolutely, it's a concerted effort on, on, the, on behalf of the teachers' unions and the left to send these chilling messages to anybody who dares to push back on their agenda. We saw it here. You covered it. And you followed the story. It got national attention, as, as you mentioned. And that was because uh, the school board said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to have ideolog ideological messages posted in our classrooms, messages like pride flags, BLM flags. But it got really nasty after the election and where they unseated the uh, majority of conservatives. 
And people were realizing all over the country, as you said, that this was going on in the classrooms and it needed to be addressed. And they said, we voted to remove all political and ideological flags, banners, buttons from the classrooms. That's Black Lives Matter, Pride flags. And the only banners and flags that can be in the classroom are the American flag and the, um, and the Oregon state flag. So what happened after that was the far left got really, the, the, the machine got ginned up, and we saw parents who had kids in the school, parents who you would have assumed had some, uh, some you know, a little bit of, of kindness to them uh, in regards to dealing with school board elected officials. What they did was they uh, started a com campaign of harassment. They put information up on the website about the school board members' employers and encouraged them to go ahead and, you know, contact the employers, and one of them actually lost his job. Here's a father and a husband who lost his, who lost his, um, his employment. So basically what we're looking at here is a, this campaign of harassment went on, and we had one school board member who had a, a neighbor put up a Black Lives Matter and, and a pride flag in the driveway, so when he drove in every day, he saw this. You had one of the school board members who had her artwork removed from a gallery because of this concerted effort. So what they did was they looked towards Oregon's brand-new anti-doxing statute, and they said, well, this is perfect for this. A trial court said the case can go forward and these people have a case. And then the Court of Appeals threw it out. Because the Court of Appeals, as you know, and you've talked about this with other cases going forward or what's going on in the state of Oregon regarding Measure 114, is that the judicial system and the Oregon judicial system is certainly no friend of those with conservative ideology. Nope. Now, uh, so basically, since the, uh, the school board members sued, to, uh, to have the organizers of this, this harassment um, addressed during this anti-doxing statute. Um, they basically, the Court of Appeals ruled that not only were the board members not going to get protection from the Oregon uh, doxing law, but they were required to pay their legal fees and now are currently facing over $200,000 in legal fees against the very people who wound up causing them to lose their jobs, lose their livelihoods, and to basically be, be prisoners in their own community where they're afraid to go to restaurants. They're afraid to, to go out because people have, uh, have ginned up this, this, this hatred towards them. So basically what this does is it sends this real chilling messages, message to anybody who's thinking of running for office who's a conservative, to anyone who is thinking about um, maintaining a, a presence and a, and a, and a conservative uh, position who is an elected official because basically you can be economically destroyed in this state and the courts will uphold that. And we put together fundraisers. We've got the uh, Give, Send, Go, Call the Common Sense Schools Legal Fund. But we're asking people who stepped up to serve on the school board now being faced with economic ruin because of, of the vicious attacks of the left. And this is in Little Newburgh, Oregon. And by the way, uh, I've always recommended that people run for the school board, Mary. I said, if you haven't held office before, run for the school board. You'll actually have control of a substantial amount of public money that's being spent, and you're really applying your talents you know, on a school board uh, to try to protect the interests of your own community. It's a great place, I think, for people to serve, but it's also kind of a thankless task. 
basically you do all this work you do hours and hours of reading documents and everything else then you spend more hours getting yelled at at school board meetings and all of this and so, I, like I said, it's it's kind of a thankless task, but it's necessary. And now we're being told, but if you're a conservative, don't go anywhere near there, because they, if you stand up for conservative values, which may be the reason you were elected by voters who wanted a conservative there, you're going to be attacked. You could be, you know, removed from your job. You could be economically impoverished, face $200,000 in legal fees. And, and and that's the thanks you'll get for doing that kind of job. It and it really scares anybody with a conservative point of view away from serving on on the board because they say I can't do this to my family. And look at the national level, Lars. Look at the January sixth. Look at the people who've been thrown into prison for the rest of their lives. It really is about sending an overall message, whether it's at the local level, the state level. Or the, or the national level, do not even try because we will destroy you. And that's why the, the red states are seeing such an influx of people who are leaving the blue states because they're terrified. And no one can blame them. This is no way to live. This is, a, this is like a communist China who enforces this in, in enormous reign of terror because there are more of us than them. And basically they know the same thing in China is they, they say, well, there's, there's more people than there are people to enforce the law so we must inflict this uh this this uh ideology or this feeling of terror so that no one will even try to push back and to resist no because if you do it would be like standing up against the the communist party of china and and you'll find yourself metaphorically probably not physically but metaphorically being run over by a tank that's Mary Sterrett, County Commissioner from Yamhill County, talking about what happened in the community of Newburgh, where conservative citizens elected conservative members to the school board, and the left decided to destroy them. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. To all the wokey snowflakes, yes, you are probably going to be offended. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to call in, we'll get to your calls in a bit. But we've been talking to Dr. Greg Nye about some of the really strange things that have happened. And we've been talking to Dr. Nye. I love the fact that when we talk to him, who is a naturopathic physician, licensed acupuncturist, but he, he specializes in cancer. And he's been doing some of the studies. And when we first talked to Dr. Nye, and he said, listen, uh, we think this mRNA China virus shot, you know, the jab, uh, the one that was experimental, uh, and uh, wasn't tested on very many people at all before uh, the powers that be said, we want billions of people to take this. And then we want to take the booster and booster after booster after booster. And when Dr. and I said, we're starting to run into what he was calling turbo cancers. And then within, I think, about six months, I started to see the mainstream medical media. You know, the, the big medical journals were also publishing pieces about turbo cancers saying, well, where are these things coming from? Cancers that come out of the blue, they work very, very quickly, and they hurt people very, very quickly. So I decided we'd get Dr. Nye back on because he's got a brand new study as well. Dr. Nye, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. Yeah. So so if I said anything wrong there, feel free to correct me, but I've really valued your research and we'll tell people that if you want the links to go read his research online, we'll be glad to do that. Um, and I know that you have uh, quite a fight to get published by some of the mainstream journals, but you wrote that we report on an aggressive, infiltrating, metastatic, and ultimately lethal basaloid type carcinoma, I think I got all the pronunciations on that right, arising shortly after the mRNA vaccination for COVID-19. Um, would you mind sharing with my audience some of what you're finding and whether or not the mainstream medical field is going to finally say, maybe we screwed people up with this jab? Yeah. Um, all right. So quickly, kind of what this case study is, um, this was a gentleman who had a basal cell carcinoma uh, on his uh upper back and these are typically they don't do anything um those are the things that you go once a year and you get them frozen off and they unless you leave them for years they don't really do anything uh but this guy he got his first jab that was a pfizer shot four days later he experienced extreme pain in the right side of his face same size side as the shot uh it progressed a uh, short story is that it then he developed paralysis and it was thought to be bell's palsy this was about two months after the shot uh and then the palsy just progressed and then a tumor started growing out of his ear and and eventually it was found oh yeah this is a metastasis from a basal cell that has invaded the facial nerve and it the tumor just kind of consumed the side of his face and ultimately it was was deadly for him so it was i mean you can't establish causation with certainty but this was so obviously related uh i mean it's hard to say that it wasn't and so yeah this paper is now kind of one of many that are coming out and it's you can't really hide this anymore i mean there's obviously an attempt to kind of look the other try to get people to look the other way and not blame the the elephant in the room but these are this topic is mainstream now at least you know within certain circles of the mainstream so yes this was something you know we had predicted it in our first papers we said this is probably why it's going to happen and then it's just sort of this uh this horrendous revealing that yes this is happening now these are not only basal cells becoming aggressive but i mean i just spoke with a patient this week 
early 30s, just diagnosed with metastatic lung cancer. I mean, that's that's In his early 30s? Early 30s, stage 4 lung cancer. I mean, it's just, this stuff is not normal. And I think more and more people are are seeing this in people around them, that people they know or colleagues, uh, it's they're not going to be able to keep a lid on this for too much longer. No, and in fact, I got a call just a short while ago from a gentleman who said, look, I, I had the shot, I had the jab, and then all of a sudden I've got blood clots in my lungs, and they're not in my family line, you know, there's not my medical history, there's no other indications for it, but I want to make sure people really accept, really understand the import. So here you've got these basal-type carcinomas, and you say they're normally, you know, they're nothing. You know, they, they normally don't do anything. They don't metabolize. I mean, there are some cancers. You walk in, the doctor says, you got this, and we're operating on you tomorrow or this afternoon. And then there are other things. Say, oh, they got a growth. Probably should have it removed. But, you know, in most cases, it doesn't do anything, as, as, as you said, unless you leave it there for years. And all of a sudden, these otherwise pussycat kind of cancers are turning into raging tiger cancers. And nobody knows why except the one common factor throughout Earth's population right now for a lot of people, not me, I didn't take the jab, uh, is, well, we shot everybody up with an experimental vaccine. Could that have something to do with it? And as you said, can you definitively say this caused that? No. But if you say that's the one new factor that's been introduced, and now all of a sudden we're seeing a whole bunch of these, and you called them turbo cancers, I've called them turbo cancers, I, the reason you're calling them that, they come on fast, they act much more quickly than a typical cancer would, and they sometimes kill people. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. And, yes, so we can't say for sure that it's these two are causal-related, but another aspect of these cancers that is that is concerning is that they're not responding to the standard kinds of therapies that have been used for cancers. So they're becoming, the new cancers are resistant. And, and that's, you know, that's like a double punch in the gut. Um, and there's kind of, there's some reasons that that may be that, you know, are too geeky to talk about right now, but, but, if, in fact, the kinds of mechanisms that we have described in our papers are happening, then it would make sense that the cancers that come from the shots are then going to be more resistant to the treatments that are used. Is part of that the, I mean, I think the phrase is impairment of T-cell immune activation. At least I know T-cells are about how you fight off disease. If that gets impaired by the shot, then your body lacks the ability to fight back? Yeah, there are, so there, yes, you're right in that. There are multiple mechanisms that the, the shots impact our ability to prevent cancers from progressing. And not only, you know, it's not only that they prevent things, but on one hand, they are doing that. They're preventing a lot of cancer fighting. And on, in another way, they're actively promoting, which is kind of a whole different thing. Promoting growth of cancers that might be present, and so it, yeah, it makes sense that we would see turbo cancers or these very aggressive cancers showing up in younger people, moving faster. It's like it's, it's like it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's like eventually, see, yeah, this is and this and, and is all of this against the backdrop of the administration, the Biden administration, saying we got to get everybody jabbed again before this fall. Dr. Nye, we're going to put up the link 
to the papers, to the studies, and this interview. We'll put it on my website at LarsLarson.com. That's Dr. Greg Nye, who's a, well, naturopathic physician who specializes in naturopathic oncology, cancer treatment. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. So tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show and check me out on Instagram. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Larson Show. The voice of the people. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday. It's my pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. i got to tell you something. There was a time, and I know that Professor Russell Berman remembers it, when America and the rest of the world took the view that the mad mullahs of Tehran, the leaders of Iran, uh, were not allowed to have a nuclear program at all. Not a nuclear program for power, for electricity, not a nuclear program certainly to develop the uh, components they need to be able to make nuclear weapons. Uh, and then all of a sudden it changed, largely during the Obama administration. And I know Professor Berman will be happy to correct me if I'm wrong about this, and I'll be happy to be corrected. But now we've got a, 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 an Iran that is on the cusp of having nuclear weapons of its own. And so, of course, we've got the Saudi Arabians who are saying, well, if Iran gets nukes, then we're going to get nukes as well. And all of this is in the hands of a guy from Delaware who uh, other knowledgeable people have said never got a foreign policy decision in his entire career correct. Uh, Professor Berman, welcome back. Good to, good to speak with you, Lars. Unfortunately, I can't correct you. You have it right. Professor Berman is the Walter Haas Professor of Humanities at Stanford, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, co-chair of the Working Group on Islamism and the International Order. And frankly, should we, should we blame the Saudis if they say, well, if Iran gets a nuke, we're going to need to get nukes as well. And we've got the Joe Biden administration, which is, I, I guess, trying to cut a deal with Saudi Arabia, but also trying to cut a deal with Iran at the same time. And it sounds like none of it is working, which shouldn't surprise us on Joe. Listen, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's going on in, in the region, um, and it's complicated by the incompetence of the Biden administration. The Biden administration is indeed trying to continue the policy of the Obama administration to um, be soft on the mullahs and effectively pave their way to a nuclear weapon. At the same time, they're trying. the Biden administration is trying to see if the Abraham Accords could be extended and lead to a rapprochement between our allies, Israel and, and Saudi Arabia, which would be in American national interest. The Biden administration is likely to fumble that ball, but this may come to pass, mainly because it would be good for Israel and good for, good for Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Biden administration thinks that it can control what's happening in the region. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, it can't. Uh, there are dynamics going on there that are out uh, beyond beyond the control of uh, Secretary Blinken. It's a complicated game, and the Biden administration is not doing a good job. No, and, and I guess what I wonder about is, 
The Biden administration, Joe Biden apparently wanted a deal to bring back the uh, was the JCPOA. It's not a treaty. Okay. It's not a law. It's not been signed off on by the U.S. Senate as treaties are required to be. Instead, it's this piece of paper that Obama and Vice President Biden came up with uh, without bothering to ask the people's representatives about it. And frankly, I don't blame the Saudis. If, you're, if your near neighbor has nuclear weapons and you don't arm up, you may have real problems. And, and I wouldn't blame them. But how did we, uh, can we take a step back from that and tell me, how did we go from Iran isn't allowed to have a nuclear program of any kind, way, shape, or form, to, well, of course, they're going to have a nuclear program ostensibly for peaceful purposes, but realistically, we know they're going to make bombs out of it. How did we how did we make that transformation and why? Well, this was the transformation that um, was uh, pursued by the Obama administration because the Obama administration and I believe large parts of the Democratic foreign policy policy establishment are effectively sympathetic to the Iranian regime. They're sympathetic to the view of the world according to which Western imperialism, U.S. imperialism are the source of all evil, uh, and uh, they want to make good with the Iranians because it is, as Gene Kirkpatrick once said, it's all our fault. We blame America first. That's why Iran has to get a nuclear weapon, and that's why the Obama administration pursued the JCPOA. As you correctly pointed out, it is not formally a treaty, although it is of such a stature that it should have been, but it was not a treaty because the Obama administration would have had to bring it to the Senate, and therefore, and it would not have gone past the Senate, and therefore, they, they found a workaround. So, yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a threat uh, uh, implicit in Iran acquiring nuclear weapons, but there's also a threat to our constitutional procedures by the Democratic administrations, Obama and Biden, trying to circumvent the Senate. That's also a threat to the United States. Well, see, that's one of the things that's all, I mean, I think the people who founded our country were geniuses and the, the documents they wrote were geniuses. And, and I think they said, oh, the president wants to cut a deal with some other country. He can do that. He, she can do that anytime he wants. He just has to bring it to the Senate. For the life of me, I never understood when the Republicans were still a majority in the Senate, why they didn't haul that JCPOA up and say, this is clearly a treaty. Let's vote on it as a treaty. We haven't been asked to vote on it as a treaty. Let's vote on it, and we know how the vote's going to go. It's going to go down. And then we'll just say it's it's inoperative because it was a treaty. It walked like a treaty. It quacked like a treaty. We voted on it. We rejected it. And just like Kyoto, you throw it on the trash pile, don't you? Well, since it was not a treaty, it was effectively a, a version of an executive order. Um, there's a little bit more than that, but it was an action by the by the White House, uh, not by the Senate. Uh, and therefore, President Trump could and wisely could um, uh, uh, take us out of it. Biden administration has been trying to get us back into it, but it's not working uh, because the Iranians um, effectively want a mea culpa from the side of the United States, which the Biden administration can't accept publicly, especially as we're going into an election year. So, Professor, when we've got a region, uh, and I get to use a $5 word, that's a whole lot more fraught than probably any other place on the planet, and now we've got Israel long, uh, I mean, I'm fairly certain they're, they're armed with nukes. The Iranians are on the cusp of it. 
Uh, and now the Saudis say, well, then we're going to have to acquire nukes. Now we've got one of these really hotbed kind of regions of the world where a whole bunch of the parties are armed with nukes and everybody who doesn't have one probably ought, you know, is, is thinking we should get one or two. What, what, where does that go? Well, then we'll have a, uh, an arms race in the, <clears throat> in the Middle East. Um, and the, the, this was initiated by the Obama administration effectively green-lighting the nuclearization of Iran. Now, the Saudis, yes, the Saudis want to have uh, the uh, power um, that would that would um, deter the Iranians. Uh, the United States is not going to give the Saudis um, uh, nuclear weapons, but there are other ways to get nuclear weapons. Pakistan has nuclear weapons, and Pakistan is effectively part of this region too. If one cuts it slightly differently, we're we're. The, the more Washington has cold-shouldered Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, the more we have pushed Saudi Arabia toward China, which could also be a source for nuclear technology. The, um, the, 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 the region can't be controlled definitively from Washington. We should, we should be wary of an arrogance of power, as uh, Senator Fulbright said years ago. But the United States can play a leadership role we're, unfortunately, we're not doing that now. No, and, and sadly, in a region where uh, Joe Biden said, I'll turn the Saudis into the pariahs they ought to be. And then, of course, has to backtrack on that uh, when, when it, it's very clear he wants to go hat in hand and ask them for some more oil because of problems he created at home. I can't imagine a better way to show the Saudis and everybody else in the region that America is being run by somebody who's not terribly bright. Professor, it's a pleasure. That's Professor Russell Berman. He's at Stanford University, also senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You can't fix stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. 
So a young lady, a girl, is walking down the hallway of a middle school. I'll remind you, middle schools, we're talking about young teenagers. And as she's walking down the hallway, someone is shooting video. And apparently that was arranged as well. And then you see a biological boy who dresses and presents himself as a female. The school has actually confirmed uh, this person is LGBTQ, transgender. A biological boy assaults this girl. He, he grabs the back of her uh, backpack and he drags her backwards and but for that backpack she might have slammed her head pretty hard on the on the floor he then grabs her by the hair and he punches her in the head a number of times all of this videoed and then loaded up to social media either by the attackers accomplices or by the attacker himself and now the schools are complaining they're saying well we can't believe this not that they can't believe the assault the assaults happen uh, because the schools let them happen, but they're angry that the video got out there and the public found out about it. Now, because the schools won't talk to me, most of them, I decided we'd reach out to our friend Ryan Walters, who's a former history teacher, now the superintendent of Oklahoma State Schools. Ryan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Lars. And this is unfortunately the consequences of radical gender theory. When you go against nature, when you go against truth and reality, it's dangerous. And what you're seeing here is results. We've seen it here in Oklahoma. We saw an assault from a biological male claiming to be a female in a girl's bathroom. And this video, just as, as, a, as a father of two daughters, it just makes you sick to see this going on in the school. And we're now reading reports that this individual has engaged in this multiple times, attacking different girls um, throughout the year. So it's just it just turns your stomach. And I know, Ryan, one of the things that seems counterintuitive is you say, well, if this is really truly a biological boy who's suffering gender dysphoria, whatever, I agree with Vivek Ramaswamy the other night in the debate saying, I think this is a mental illness. I think this is it is a mental illness problem. But for the school to ignore this stuff, I want to I want you to speak to that as a former teacher and now as the superintendent for schools for an entire state. How is it that the schools are saying we have to, you know, tread? on eggshells when it comes to LGBTQ nonsense and, and we can't enforce the rules on these people and stop them from doing these things. They're still crimes, aren't they? They absolutely are, but they're, but they're scared. I mean, you see these administrators that oftentimes are liberal activists and then other times they, they go along with this mob mentality from the LGBTQ plus groups that come out loud, come out attacking school boards, come out attacking parents, um, to force them to allow this type of behavior. And notice the school's response and how telling it is. They're more upset that a student recorded what happened and they're looking to crack down on cell phone policies in the school. So how does the school react? Well, let's, we need less transparency. You know, if people wouldn't have seen what happened here, we wouldn't be dealing with near the, near the headache. When the reality should be, first of all, you should be punishing the individual responsible for, for, for the behavior, number one. Number two, you should be looking to provide more transparency because now if I'm a parent, we want to talk about losing all faith in that school and trust, I need to be able to see, I need more cameras in the school, frankly. I need more transparency about what's going on in our schools, but this is what we have seen from so many of our public schools. Issues arise and they continue to obfuscate, they continue to hide it rather than bringing in the open, acknowledging problems, and fixing them, which is what parents want to hear and why we've lost trust in our schools.
See, and I had uh, an interesting discussion with a parent who said, well, if my kid videotaped at school, he'd be in trouble. I said, really? I said, isn't it a good idea if we tell people, if you see something, say something, and you see an attack, and you go to the school administrator, the principal or whatever, and you say, look, there was an attack. He said, well, what happened? Well, a girl, you know, or a trans pulled a student to the ground. Is she okay? Did she walk away? Yeah. Okay, nothing happens. But you show the nature of this video, and it all comes, you know, it comes directly to you. I mean, we've seen this thing on a bigger stage when you'll, you'll hear about a, a famine in Rwanda from years ago. And then all of a sudden, when the video of famine in Rwanda gets put in front of Americans, Americans go, holy cow, look at that. We've got to do something about that. Well, I think the same thing could happen in schools, but as you said, the school's first inclination is, how can we cover this up? Let's forbid students from documenting the crimes committed against their fellow students. That doesn't seem like much of a teachable moment to me. Exactly, and this is our most precious asset, our kids. It's unbelievable to me that, you know what, we're more concerned with tracking a package at UPS or having a doorbell camera and all these type of but, but our kids, we shouldn't have them under a better view. Our parents, we can check and see what happens. We can check and see how our kids are being treated. We can make sure that we know what's going on in the classroom. It, it, this is something that we've got to continue to fight, not only for parents' rights. We've got to have more transparency in our schools, and we've got to hold school boards accountable. This is completely unacceptable that a school administration is going to respond to something this heinous. And we've tried to do our best, you and I, to describe this video. If your viewers watch it, I'm telling you, it'll turn your stomach. Um, well, it's, it's on our social media. It's on our web page. And if it isn't already, I'll talk to my producers. But the fact is, people need to see what happened. And when you see the schools saying the video never should have been made, shouldn't have been made public because that's bad for the kids, you tell me a parent who would agree with that. That's Ryan Walters, the Oklahoma State School Superintendent and former U.S. history teacher. Always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, you go right to the head of the line on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to 
kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and I'll grab some of those calls in a moment. But I want to talk about the, the, the economy right now because it really is the front and center issue for an awful lot of Americans who don't follow politics all that closely, and I don't expect them to. I mean, in fact, is some of us do because it's part of what we do. Uh, but for the average family, just being able to pay the bills in an environment where mortgage rates are up more than double under Joe Biden, uh, consumer goods are not truly reflected by the CPI. Consumer goods are up about 20% since Joe Biden took office. Gasoline prices are up, and they've taken a spike here recently as oil prices have gone to about $100 a barrel. All thanks, I think largely thanks, to Joe Biden and his actions. Well, Alfredo Ortiz is president and CEO of the Job Creators Network and a good friend of the show. Alfredo, welcome back. Well, thank you so much. And boy, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't have hit it, uh, like, like straight on even better. I mean, that, that was exactly it. I mean, our consumers are really starting to feel, feel the pain. Yeah. And, and so the question is, it, does it show any signs? in the next year and a half, two years, that there's anything that, that's on the horizon that suggests it may move the other direction or even slow down? Well, you know, eventually it, it will. And the problem is and that basically means a recession. And quite frankly, it will probably be speculation because if you look at the growth rate of the country, it's slowing down as well. Um, and you're absolutely right that we can, we can actually truly blame uh, Joe Biden uh, for all of this. Uh, and it goes back to his day one decision of attacking, basically, and declaring war on our domestic energy production. I mean, remember just a couple of years ago before Joe Biden, we were actually finally energy independent. Um, and, and we were, you know, having median incomes that were well above inflation. And now we can't even keep up with inflation. I mean, my goodness, the other day I went to go buy you know, I wanted to make myself a turkey sandwich. I went there, and it was $15 a pound for deli meat turkey. I mean, my goodness, Lars, you can't even make yourself a turkey sandwich. No, I mean, with 15 bucks a, a pound during Trump, you'd have been making yourself a steak sandwich and probably out of tri-tip, <laughs> out, out tri right? Exactly, exactly. Well, and so, and, and, and I guess... I keep looking at this thinking, how is any of this good for America? Even if you're a hardcore Democrat, if you say, okay, we should stop getting all of the energy that America has in abundance, thank God for that, because it's a great blessing on this country. And, and what's wrong with creating hundreds of thousands? If not, I, I think we could probably create millions of jobs, new jobs, if we said, let's build pipelines, let's drill for oil and natural gas, let's find clean ways to burn coal. And I just saw, I just saw a, a, an environmentalist, but he's a conservative environmentalist, and he said, look, at the end of the day, we create, we both drill and harvest and burn natural gas about 40% cleaner uh, than the gas it's drilled for right. in, in places like Russia. And you say, so if you just said, what if America supplied some or all of the natural gas to the rest of the planet with LNG ports that would have to be built and tankers that would have to go that would create gigantic numbers of jobs in American ports? 
Just that difference saying we're going to supply you with the nat gas instead of Putin would make a 40 percent difference in natural gas, which Western Europe is hugely dependent on. You say that difference alone should make the hearts of all the tree huggers and bunny huggers uh, just soar. And instead, they say, no, we like Joe's plan to buy windmills and solar panels from China made with coal-fired electricity. I mean, Lars, I mean, it just makes zero sense. I mean, his entire domestic uh, energy uh, policy makes absolutely no sense. And to your point, I mean, we could be producing everything for the rest of the world, and it would be a cleaner, you know, a cleaner environment overall. And uh, But, you know, I mean, like I said, he had to... Uh, he has to appease this far left, the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders of the world, right? Um, uh, and, and coming out with, you know, his uh, Green New Deal, basically, which is effectively what we've done with uh, all, the, all the different spending that we have in place now. And then, you know, he's pushing the EVs. I mean, this makes no sense as well. I mean, the EV vehicles, we're, we don't have, you know, the infrastructure to accommodate those. I mean, it takes, um, you know, and nobody's even talking about the fact that, you know, they're twice as heavy. As a normal car, so, you, so they're going to wear know, roads wear out faster, right? Exactly. And the roads the are made out of oil. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you sit there and you just like you have to keep shaking your head, and they go, "When is it going to stop, Lars?" Well, and the other thing is, this only got mentioned a brief mention in the debate the other night, but I've been banging on this number for a while. If you take a look at the auto industry, for every 10 workers it takes to make an internal combustion engine car or pickup truck, it takes four workers to make the electric version. And you say, well, yep. hold on, that's good. I said, it, it may be good, except the electric version still costs $10,000 more, even though it uses far less, uh, you know, labor. But when it comes to UAW members, have any of them realized that their union bosses and the Democrats have fed them a line of garbage? They've said, hey, we're on your side, except we're going to eliminate six out of ten jobs in the automaking business. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Lars. I kind of went in and broke into the, you know, the kind of understanding of that contract that they're looking yeah. for. Yeah. I think they actually did figure it out. And what they're trying to do is basically have pensions. That will cover them for their lifetimes when they do get laid off and uh, be, because of this. How does that so, work so, financially? I mean, how in the world does, do you say doesn't. we're, we're going to wipe out the industry that pays the money, but we're all going to collect pay, big paychecks when we're all retired at 42? Yeah, I, I mean, it absolutely makes no sense. I mean, you know what? I'm actually glad that Ford and all these guys are not actually caving on this because it's just ridiculous what they're asking for. I mean, at this point, I mean, first of all, I understand. I, I, I love, you know, blue collar workers and these guys work hard. But, you know, I mean, they, they should actually be picketing the White House because it's Biden that actually caused this kind of inflation that's really caused the issues for them and their, you know, household budget. I mean, that is really the, the, the real culprit is what Biden has been doing since day one and has really caused this inflation to spike the way it has. Well, why do you think that Joe Biden showed up on the picket line for exactly 12 minutes, spoke for 87 seconds? He spoke for less than a minute and a half and then climbed back in his big internal combustion engine beast of a limousine <laughs> and went back to Air Force One that, by the way, does not win, run on wind or solar. Yeah, you know what, boy, wouldn't I, I would love for that Air Force One to be running on solar right now. <laughs> it wouldn't be going very far, would it? That's Alfredo Ortiz. He's president and CEO of the Job Creators Network. Alfredo, thanks so much. I appreciate the time.
Thanks for joining me for Honestly Provocative Talk Radio. If you want to sound off, well, you're always welcome here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line when you call the Lars Larson Show. Check out our Twitter poll, at Lars Larson Show. And, of course, you can check us out on Instagram and Alexa as well. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to talk about farmers here in a moment, but I want to grab a phone call first. Uh, but let me suggest this to you. We have to support our farmers. And lately, it used to be if you don't support farmers, you won't be eating. But now the question has changed a bit. If you don't support America's farmers, are we all going to end up eating bugs instead? And we'll get to that in just a moment. First, if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's start with Paul. Hey, Paul, you heard me talking about New York's governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, and how she's done a complete 180. And I take it that's what you called in about, that she was... Uh, not too long ago, saying, oh, everybody who's in Ill Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion is welcome to come to New York State. And now she's saying, don't even bother coming. There's no room left. Go somewhere else. What do you, t what do you think about all that? Yeah, hi, Lars. Yeah, that is uh, one thing I'd like to make a comment or two about. But I'd like to also uh, make some reference to the uh, Stanford professor that was talking to you a little while ago. Oh, Russell uh, Berman, where, where we were talking about Saudi Arabia wants to get a nuke because uh, Barack Obama made it possible for the Iranian mad mullahs to get a nuke. So now, as predicted, the Saudis will want nukes and the pretty soon the whole region will be armed with nukes. Exactly. And it, it just brought the thought up to me that uh, former Defense Secretary Gates 
said about Biden that he had never made a good or correct decision in the previous 40 years. Yep. And just, I'd like to add to that that I don't think he's made a correct decision in that issue or any other issue since he's been president. I, I would agree with that. I mean, you can go right back and say, what are, what are the bad decisions? Well, you pull out of Afghanistan, sir, you know, uh, just, just without any kind of preparation at all. Americans get killed. Thousands of Americans get trapped in, in behind Taliban lines. So that was a bad decision. You practically invite Putin to invade, uh, Ukraine by saying, well, if it's a small invasion, we might have to have some kind of response. You don't uh, do anything to try to, to push the Russians back when you could have to keep them out of Ukraine because I think Joe Biden, frankly, I'm not a big one on conspiracy theories, but think about this. The Biden crime family has made lots of money, allegedly as much as $20 million out of Ukraine. Do you think if Joe saw the potential for kind of inviting an invasion of Ukraine, that that would then uh, make uh, make American aid uh, become uh, it's incumbent for the president to say, well, we're going to help them out. We send, I think, total of. $113 billion has been committed to Ukraine. And how much of that is being diverted by the oligarchs who paid the Biden crime family up to $20 million out of Ukraine? I mean, there's a great money-making potential there. It's a tragedy for everybody else, uh, and it's costly it American taxpayers. But what do you think of that theory? Well, it's been a corrupt country for uh, as long as it's been on its own, and even as part of the uh, former USSR. <clears throat> and... Um, and the, the lack of accountability for the dollars given is really a concern. I mean, I don't see why that can't be part of their agreement. Um, it's just like you say, who knows where the money's going? But but then you get to this, and I, I wish I could say the Latin phrase, but it's who will guard the guardians. If you said we want accountability and transparency, and the Ukrainians, I mean, Ukraine, every Ukrainian I've ever interviewed tells me, uh, whether they've moved to America or whether they're still in Ukraine, they say, Ukraine is a notoriously corrupt country. So if you say to them, well, we need to have some paperwork to show where the money went, do you think they're just as capable of making up fake paperwork and fake transparency as anybody who works in the American mob? Well, at least the appearance of accountability would be better than no accountability. <laughs> I, I guess, it, unless, I mean, it'd be like saying, hey, I think you ripped me off. And somebody, the person you're doing business with says, let me get you the paperwork and show that you haven't been ripped off at all. And you look at all the paperwork and you say, well, this appears to say that my money went to where it was supposed to go. But how do I know that it's true? And you say, you know, it's true because I told you it's true. <clears throat> well, I agree. And just regarding the Hochul and Eric Adams and that situation, um, the fact that the border situation is becoming undeniably worse uh, is and their virtual signaling attempt up until recently has been no more than that. But I think now just the fact that it's costing them in real terms trying to deal with the situation, but also to try to separate themselves as much as they can from the negative stuff that the rest of the country is starting to pick up on for their own political purposes is a big part of why they're changing their tone. Well, except the one piece of their tone that hasn't changed, Paul, and this is what I'm waiting for, because I always cite Frank Rizzo and, you know, a conservative is a liberal who got mugged last night, because the, the person who's the most warm, fuzzy, oh, the rights of criminals, and we shouldn't put people in jail, and then they get mugged. 
you know, they get beat up and their wallet or their purse gets taken. And the next day, they're sounding as conservative as Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan. Uh, you say, wow, that's a transformation. Yeah, that's what happens when you get beat up and your wallet stolen or your purse stolen. But I'm waiting for Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, or Kathy Hochul to say, President Biden is wrong about this invasion of America. And until they do that, all they're doing is saying, gosh, we want all the illegal aliens to come in the country. We just don't want them to come to our neighborhood. Let's go to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Well, I've noticed that you've had a lot of New York politicians mentioned in your show today, and they all are pretty much pretty much the bottom of the barrel uh, politicians. We'll just put it that way, which makes me want to reply about something else in New York. Mr. Bob Menendez. Oh, uh, New Jersey. you got to put him in the right state. He's in New Jersey, not New York. But, hey, six of one, half dozen the other. New York thinks everything west of the Hudson is New Jersey. So from my West Coast perspective, maybe I can do the same to New York and New Jersey. There you go. You know, it, it, it seems like it must be in the water on both sides of those states there because it, it seems to me that, uh, you know, we're looking at all this corruption, Lars, and if, I, if I'm not mistaken, now correct me now if I'm mistaken here. I, would, I wouldn't want to be incorrect here. No. I believe Mr. Bob Menendez's uh, prior problem was that he went on vacation to have sex with minors in foreign countries. That was, the that was the accurate. There was money involved as well, but there were children that he was accused of molesting. And, and the testimony was, this is a guy who likes very, very young girls. Translate that is, this is a pedophile. And I think he's got that problem as well. And by the way, Why think about he... the Democrats that have that problem. You've got, uh, let's see, uh, you've got Epstein, who's allegedly dead, maybe murdered, maybe suicided, who is friends with Bill Gates, who's friends with Hillary and Bill Clinton, who's friends with all those other people. And then you got Menendez, who likes young girls, and you got the Podesta brothers. And I mean, you, you're starting to make a list, and you got a long, long list. And are there some Republicans who've done bad things as well? Absolutely right. But the Democrats seem to have, have cornered the market on pedophilia and, and corruption. Uh, the Republicans, I, I'm for putting all of them in jail. If they've broken the law, they go to jail. If they've touched a child, they go to jail. And believe me, that perv in the White House who's always putting his hands on adult women and children of both genders, pervy Joe's got to go, too. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. In control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. As we say, we promise that this is the best conversation in talk journalism, and you can be part of it if you choose to. Not everybody does that. An awful lot of people just listen, but that's okay. We leave the door open for anyone. And if you want to join that conversation, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. 
time, and you, you can rest assured that every single day, naysayers go to the head of the line. Now, sometimes I have to explain that to people. If you disagree with my point of view on something or something I've said, I'm glad to have you call and do your best to counter my arguments. And if I'm not ready for that, then my argument's not ready either. In any case, glad to have you do that. And if you have a moment, go to our website or go to Twitter and vote in our Twitter poll. We put up a brand new question written from the news of the day, so we try to make it as fresh as possible. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or at LarsLarson.com, our website that doesn't suffer from some of the censorship that Twitter likes to do. And sometimes I have a dog in the fight when it comes to the subjects we talk about. In this case, the Washington Cares program, which I think is a, a gigantic hoax. It's a gigantic scam that's going to cost a lot of people a lot of money. Am I going to be paying some of that money? Yes, I will. Do I want to? No, I don't. Do I think the program has any real possibility of benefiting me to any great extent? Nope. And I think we're seeing by the results of who's actually deciding to sign up when there's an opt-in option that not very many people see much usefulness in it at all. And the person who knows about that best is Elizabeth Hovde, who's a research analyst and director of the Center for Workers' Rights and Healthcare at Washington Policy. Elizabeth, good to have you back. Hi, Lars. Good to be here. So when people are given the option of actually opting in for Washington Cares, what kind of result have we seen? Well, there are about 362,000 individuals who are self-employed in Washington State. And at a recent long-term service and supports meeting discussing law cares, the Employment Security Department said that just 355 of them had opted into law cares. And this was during the discussion about opt-ins and exemptions. And a lot of people are leaving law cares if they can and there's not many people who can anymore. The states, um, few people are coming in. So about 29,000 non-immigrant visa holders and about 24,000 Washington workers from other groups that can still seek an exemption have sought to get out of the payroll tax. But about 355 self-employed workers were voluntarily choosing to opt in to the program. As of last week, that number had risen to 386, I should note. Wow, so it's about one person in a thousand out of the group that's eligible to opt in has chosen to opt in, and the other 99.9% .9 of them have chosen not to? Yeah, it's something. You know, I reported on this, and an industry source of mine wrote me uh, surprised by the 355 number, and he asked me if it was a typo. So I, I determined it wasn't. I verified it wasn't. Um, I I wasn't so surprised, however. I remember from an LTSS meeting a long time ago, they were discussing um, that a high number of self-employed people were not expected to choose involvement in law cares given the state's experience with participation in paid family medical leave, which is another program funded by payroll tax on workers. So I didn't expect a high uptake from the self-employed pool, but a fiscal note about long-term, the long-term care program estimated they might have about 40,000 in the first year.
And meantime, the other two groups that you mentioned that have the ability to opt out, I don't. I'd like to opt out of it. I don't think I need it. I think I'm covered by other insurance. But unfortunately, the mm -hmm. state has determined what insurance qualifies you to opt out. We're talking about 50,000 people who've opted out between the what the 24 and the 29. A little over 50,000 have chosen to say, I, I don't want anything to do with this. Yes, and that's just the new exemption group that were provided for in a recent legislative session. Before that, there was written into the law the ability to opt out if you chose private long-term care insurance for your mode of funding this possible life need. And nearly 500,000 people, nearly half a million people opted out at that time. So those two together are what we're looking at who have gotten out of the payroll tax. And by the way, you pointed out, I'm talking to Elizabeth Hovde from the Washington Policy Center, the fact that people are opting out literally by the hundreds of thousands means the financial stability of the program is also very much in question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, solvency is a huge concern. There's been a couple of different actuarial studies by Milliman. Uh, um, actuarial firm and they're interesting you know there's scenarios whereby this could work out for folks there are scenarios where it won't it's just a big unknown because it's a new program and the state marketing though has not talked about this maybe situation at all in fact it tells people they can be confident that walkers is going to be there for them and they're they're expressing that people should be confident in having a long-term care solution if they ever need it someday. But even if it was solvent, and is solvent, it could be, even if it is solvent in the end of the day, you've still got only 36500 for a lifetime benefit attached to this program that you might qualify for. Not everyone is going to. So telling people that they have you know, uh, a secure plan in place, I think, is detrimental to the state. I think people are going to be surprised when they're not eligible well, for this fund. This makes me curious. I mean, is there any chance that you could find out who some of these 355 are? Because is it possible that they're in some kind of very strange self-employment situation, strange in terms of income, strange in terms of circumstances, where they just happen to fit into the little niche where the program actually does have the chance of returning to them more than they pay into it? Uh, or, or, or do you think they're just uninformed and they decided to sign up for it anyway? Because I can't imagine anybody voluntarily saying, yeah, take hundreds of dollars out of my paycheck every year and then promise me this very tiny benefit if all the right conditions are met somewhere down the line. You know, I haven't heard from anybody who's voluntarily opted in. But I could see a scenario by which if you are pretty confident you're going to need long-term care, and let's say you work 10 hours a week, you're a part-timer, that's the requirement, maybe it is beneficial for you to bank on this 36500 if you've got like three years of work left. But that kind Instead of self-selection, Elizabeth, if you've got somebody who's doing 10 hours of work a week, meaning the amount they're going to pay into the system is tiny, and the potential benefit... Yeah even at 36000 by comparison to what they're paying in, is going to be very attractive. That's what it sounds like they may be doing. Yes. Do you think I'm right? And that, there might be some of that, and if that is the case, that adverse selection, that's worse for the solvency of the program, first of all. And second of all, they've just started discussing raising that hour of work requirement, 
they're suggesting that it be raised to uh, double uh, thousand, hours. I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I wouldn't count on anything. I mean, this, this program is a work in progress, even though it's law. They can tweak it. They can come back and amend it. And that's the concern for most of us, is that it's such a big maybe and the possibility of not getting this insurance program that it's not an insurance program. Forgive me for just saying that, but for not being involved in this, you know, is is high. The probability is high. I think that you might not get it. And so it scares me to be involved in it and I'm not. It doesn't make any sense at all. Elizabeth, thank you very much. That's Elizabeth Hubby from the Washington Policy Center. She directs the Center for Worker Rights and Health Care. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your phone calls and emails. And welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, with honestly provocative talk. Now, yesterday, I told you the fact that uh, Washington State now has seen a gigantic jump in the number of infants and small children who are overdosing from fentanyl. How long are the voters and the citizens of Oregon and Washington going to watch kids die from fentanyl overdoses before they demand the changes that we've talked about on this show? I thought I'd put that question to Washington State Senator Linda Wilson, who joins me now. She represents the 17th legislative district, so she spends a lot of time in Olympia. Uh, Senator Wilson, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much, Lars. Is there an answer to that? I mean, how long? I mean, are we just going to accept that the new normal is, yeah, we'll have young adults, we'll have other people, and even toddlers, uh, and they'll end up dead or, or barely recovered by being resuscitated from a fentanyl overdose, and this is just part of the new norm of living in the Northwest? Right. Well, 
I don't think that we need we need to be paying attention to this absolutely. And last year, about this time, um, I was contacted by the Clark County Deputy Prosecutor that works directly with the Children's Justice Center, and so he deals with this stuff all the time. And he was telling me that the law had not been updated since 2005, which when it was methamphetamine and we had the labs and all that, and children were being um, exposed to meth, you know, the meth labs and overdosing. And um, so, but fentanyl is not included because it's synthetic opioid and it's not included in the law. So he said, we can't really do much with this. So as an example, uh, right now, if a child overdoses and it's the parents that, that expose them to it, smoke or, you know, inhaling or um, taking the pills or whatever, um, they can only be charged with reckless endangerment. And that right now is only a gross misdemeanor and up to $5,000 for one year in jail and $5,000 um, fine. So he wants to increase our ad fentanyl to the law so that we can do something because if a child dies, clearly there's unfortunately, there's something that we can do, charge the parent with the death. But there's not, not much we can do to hold them accountable for overdosing their own children. And that's what this would do. Uh, so I introduced a bill last year. I worked with him and I introduced a bill. It sailed through the Senate. It was unanimous going through the Senate. It got to the House and died. And so quite frankly, this was my number one bill last year because it's so important and well, it's, it's taking the same trajectory, the overdoses in children as fentanyl is in, in the um, state and the country. How, uh, uh, let me ask you something, Senator. Most of us, I've never been a state lawmaker, but how is it possible for a bill that gets majority support or gets a unanimous vote in one chamber does not get a huge amount of attention, if not an almost immediate trip to the floor to be talked about and voted on? How is that possible? I mean, does one chamber say, oh, yeah, they passed it by unanimously over there, but, yeah, we probably don't even want to look at that mm -hmm. one here. I mean, how, how is how does that happen? It depends upon who's the chair of the committee it's going through. And then in this case, it was Representative Goodman, who's the chair of, of public safety. And he heard the bill and then had an issue with exposure. He said he's had an issue, issue with exposure for quite some time. And I said, well, but I'm not changing that. But we can change that if we well, have to. Okay, but explain what the issue is with exposure. Does he mean that if a parent takes a child to the public park and the child picks up some piece of drug litter that's on the public park uh, grass and then dies, that you're not going to charge the parent unless you can show the connection that the parent is the one who exposed the child? I can understand that, right. but what was his objection? Right. He just told me that his caucus wouldn't support this. Uh, and I was flabbergasted because... Because of the fact that it failed through the Senate, but meaning the Democrats won't support it, right? Yes. Well, so Democrats want children to die of fentanyl. There's a faction in their caucus that don't want to hold people that have drug crimes or any of that to be held accountable, and that's the issue. The only thing is, well, what we're wanting to do here is we're wanting to make this a uh, Class B felony with a seriousness level of four, which. Um, would be if they knowingly or intentionally permit it or a dependent child or adult to be exposed to or ingest or inhale or have contact with that methamphetamine or the components used for methamphetamine. Or, fen or fentanyl. Or fentanyl. Right? Or fentanyl. Exactly. Yeah. We want to add fentanyl and synthetic opioids so that this doesn't happen again because there's always new drugs, right? And that's where this 
statute fails is that it didn't include any new drugs coming on board. And we know that it's getting stronger. And, I mean, I just read something yesterday that said that they're coming out with rainbow pills and pieces that look like chalk, like children use to write on a sidewalk. So it's getting easier and easier for these kids to see this stuff and think that it's either a toy or it's, you know, Skittles. And by the way, Senator, that report I talked about yesterday was one that said, mm -hmm. you know, you go back four years, there are maybe 20 overdose deaths in toddlers and small, small you know, babies. And, and right. now we've got more than that number in Washington State, and the majority of the mm -hmm. kids who are overdosing, in some cases dying, in some cases being resuscitated, are uh, uh, there are more cases happening in Washington State than there were nationwide just four years ago. Senator Wilson, I hope we get the word out. I appreciate you coming on the show. That's Senator Linda Wilson from the 17th District. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show and check me out on Instagram. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big soap? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Aaron Mesh is the news editor at Willamette Week, and it's great to have him back. Hey, how are you, Aaron? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. A uh, little tech flu bar there. Um, I, I headlined this by saying the last couple of decades, there are plenty of people who've become huge Northwest headline stories in the region. And you did something I think is very valuable. And you said, where are these people right now? Now, we probably can't do all 14 of them, but why don't we talk about some of them? Where, where would you like to start? You want to start with the grifter, Sylvia Hayes? I, I knew you would want to start with Sylvia, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> go so, for it. Uh, you, you, of course, I feel like we end up talking about Sylvia Hayes at least like once a week on your show anyway, um, because she relates so closely to so many of the scandals currently uh, embroiling Oregon Democrats. But um, Sylvia Hayes obviously was involved in the um, 
Well, it's called a play to pay, excuse me, pay to play scandal at, uh, in John Kitzhaber's office where she was, um, offering consulting work to, to various uh, climate clients, uh, and then doing said work inside the governor's office on his staff. Or, so, or pillow talk. I mean, it didn't have to be inside the governor's office. It might have well been pillow talk, but who knows? I mean, we don't know the intimate well, details well, of all actually, that. I mean, what actually matters is that she was she was a hired staffer. Like, I mean, you could actually make the case that, like, she wouldn't have gotten in so much trouble had it merely been pillow talk. At any rate, uh, so where is she now? I mean, the governor's fourth term... Uh, Ended in um, in scandal and disgrace. <laughs> yes, that, that that's a good, those are good phrases also. And they decamped to Bend, uh, where it's my understanding that let's let me read this so that I don't get it wrong. Um, so she has written two books. Uh, one of them is entitled "When Life Blows Up," and the other is entitled "Transcend." Uh, she's ordained as a minister in the Unity Church and started a nonprofit called the Rethink Ministry. She holds virtual study groups and workshops for people looking to tap into their spirituality. Um, and she also uh, has at least one big fan on Wikipedia who is attempting to make sure the things that I just recited to you are listed prominently on her Wikipedia page rather than the Kitsopper scandal. Now, are you sure it's a big fan and that Sylvia isn't actually editing, editing her own Wikipedia page, something that many of us who are on Wikipedia might wish we could do, but it's not, it's not allowed under the rules. Are you sure it's not her doing it for herself? No, I'm not sure it's not doing her doing it for herself. In fact, I have obtained documents from Wikipedia content managers who say they are highly suspicious that she is doing it herself. Uh, one clue is that the username of the person who keeps editing her page is Agility Queen, uh, and Sylvia Hayes' other sideline is uh, Dog Agility Competitions. Uh, yeah, which, so, so she might have slipped and actually left a, a tip in there. But uh, the question I get all the time, Aaron, is we were told that John Kitzhaber was going to get married to Sylvia Hayes, but everybody wants to know after years and years and years, I mean, years after he resigned in disgrace, did they ever get married? They are not married. So hmm. unless unless perhaps they've gotten married through the Unity Church in which she is a minister, uh, in which case it was not something I, I spotted. But as to my to my knowledge, they remain uh, an extent in an extended uh, fiance ship. What is it? What is the term for what, whatever the fiance ship? Yeah. But uh, has she figured out any new grifter scams, scams? Because you remember this woman had quite a history. I mean, she married an Ethiopian non-citizen to get him into the country. That was immigration fraud. She got paid for that. She started a marijuana farm before it was legal, and that was in Washington State. Uh, that was another scam. Uh, she she had various assignations with older men, much, much older men, who decided to give her all kinds of gifts, an arrangement that we normally call something else. But, I, I you know, I, I guess being polite about it, she managed to scam a lot there, and then she got her hooks in Kitzhaber. But has she come up with any new? Uh, because I remember at the time one of the emails that uh, she didn't want had to have released was where she explained to her beau, uh, John Kitzhaber, that her minimum needs every month were $6,000 a month to pay the costs of her. And with inflation and all, heck, it might be eight or 10000 by now. She's got to be getting that somewhere. John Kitzhaber isn't getting it from his PERS pension. I know that. It is a modest pension, actually. We've, you and I have discussed that. Was it before. fifty grand or something? 
It, it's, I think it's actually, I think it, I don't want to go on the air and, and recite a number that I don't know for sure, but it's, I mean, it might be lower than that. At any rate, um, you know, I, I don't know what, uh, we would term a grift. I would say that, uh, that she is certainly <laughs> describing herself now as a woman of the cloth. Uh, and far be it from me to to uh, cast aspersions on someone's religious practices. A woman of the cloth. Yeah, my recollection is that most U.S. currency is technically not paper. It's actually cloth. So maybe maybe there's a little room for interpretation. Let's get to one of my ever other favorites because I actually covered this woman, the murderer Diane Downs. She's on your list, too. Where is she sitting today? Prison. The, the place where I think many people would agree that she belongs. So uh, Diane, in uh, 1983, uh, took her kids to a, and their kids were, let me see if I can remember this right, eight, seven, and three years old, yep. to a rural road outside of Springfield and shot them multiple times. Uh, the motive that prosecutors described to this was that she was in love with a man who did not want children, and so they had become inconvenienced. Uh, Diane Downs claims to this day that a scraggly-haired man had accosted them on this road and shot her kids. The bushy-haired stranger. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And then shot her in the arm. Uh, prosecutors say she shot herself in the arm in order to have a, an alibi. And she uh, did. Ann Rule, who I believe is a friend of yours, or was a Very friend good. Of yours. The late Ann Rule, yep. Uh, Ann Rule once described her to us as the as the smartest criminal that she'd ever encountered and possibly the most terrifying. Um, I'd agree and, with that. And, I, and, you know, I wasn't, I was the, uh, how old was I in 1983? I was so young, but I'm not even going to say it on the air. I was, it was barely a, I a was, gleam in your father's eye. I was a wee baron. And so uh, I was, I was the age of one of those kids. So at any rate, uh, I can't say that I've had much encounter with Diane Downs. Uh, I can tell you that when we reached out to her, she directed us to her website where she is still writing appeals, including a theory that she's espousing that somehow J. Edgar Hoover was involved in framing her. Oh my God. Um, the, the Oregon Parole Board, which you and I have discussed, got a little softer in the past few decades, has not you gotten think? soft on Diane, has not gotten soft on Diane Downs and continues to say that unless she will at least admit that she did it, they're not terribly interested in trying to figure out whether or not she should uh, she should receive any mercy. And one other so, detail, she was one of America's earliest surrogate moms. And don't you feel sorry for the child that was born by this uh, killer just a few months before she tried to kill all three of her kids? Read all the stories about the 14 Where Are They Nows at WWEEK.com. That's Aaron Mesh from Willamette Week. Uh, glad to get to your calls in the next segment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show and check me out on Instagram. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. 
So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It is a pleasure to be with you. Over the years, one of the best journalists I've ever met is a man by the name of Andy No, And he's a bit unique uh, because he began just as someone who would cover things at a local level. Uh, his stories caught on. They drew national attention. He's now written for some of the biggest publications and these days online publications in the United States of America. He is also one of the few journalists, a lot of journalists have dramatic stories to tell, but he's one of the few journalists that's actually come under physical attack from the people that he is covering. A physical attack to the point where it's actually life-threatening. A brain bleed that was caused by an attack on him now nearly two years ago. But I'm really pleased to have, uh, I consider him a friend of the show and a great journalist and now the author of Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, Mr. Andy No, which by the way is his Twitter handle as well. Andy, welcome back. Thank you for having me on again. I'm glad to do it, and I'm glad for the reporting you've done on Antifa, because we have to set this in context. Most of the media, most of the mainstream media, local television, local newspapers, national television and newspapers, has covered Antifa as, well, this is a crowd of mostly peaceful people. They often team up with Black Lives Matter, BLM, and they go out and have mostly peaceful protests, and then a few people go out and burn and riot and uh, break things and attack the police and attack civilians, including you. Uh, what in the world possessed you to cover this group in the way that you have up close and personal, where you're often in the crowd of Antifa or right on the fringe watching what they're doing? So what I was witnessing when I was on the ground years ago, just as a student journalist at Portland State, when the... Antifa, the Portland Antifa was in its earlier days. These were people who, while dressed in black and wearing masks, were setting fires, were causing indiscriminate violence and misery and suffering. And then I'd read the local coverage from, from let's say, Portland Mercury or Willamette Week, and they were describing these people as anti-fascists opposing white supremacy. And unfortunately, it didn't, wasn't just a one-off that became normal in how they covered them year after year after year, even when Antifa eventually took their um, street brawls to another level when they actually carried out months of riots throughout 2020 in Portland that brought that city to its knees. 
But this isn't just the Portland problem. The riots and their violence have happened in countless other American cities. And this perception that exists on the left, that this is not in any organized type of movement with any type of structure to it, is wrong. And as I expose in this book, you'll see that Portland playing, being the epicenter of American Antifa has a lot to do in not just providing a blueprint for how to riot for other cities, but blueprints on how to set up their own anti-foot cells. And I published for the first time in Unmasked some primary documents from somebody who went through the membership process for Rose City Antifa, which is Portland's Antifa organization and one of the largest ones in the country. And you'll see that what they put their recruits through is very similar to what jihadists would put their members through. For example, weapons trainings, trainings on how to fight, deep ideological indoctrination, exposure gradually to, to incremental booklets and pamphlets and readings that introduce more and more extreme ideas to the point of where by the time they become a full-fledged member, many of them are not just expected to, but more than willing to actually take up arms and, if needed, kill or be killed for the purpose. Andy is the author of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, speak to the name, because this is a group that chose a name that I, I think almost nobody could argue with. You say, well, they're against fascism, and yet they're, are they really against fascism? Because I'm not aware of a fascist government at this point inside the United States of America. Did they choose that name as a way of masking themselves that way, too, to say who could be a bit against a group that is against fascism, and yet their real target is something else? Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, a lot of my peers, and I would say just a lot of young people in general, um, have are ignorant about the Second World War. And so the original Antifa, the first Antifa, was a paramilitary of the German Communist Party. And the people that they called fascists at that time weren't just the actual National Socialists in Germany, but also anybody that opposed them. So that included the center-left, uh, the Social Democrats. So from its inception, this label of fascism has always been applied to mean anything that was against their political worldview. So they view the United States as a fascist state. So this whole, uh, all this language and rhetoric about we need to oppose the fascist regime of Donald Trump, it was always pre pretense and just an excuse to mainstream and legitimize their extremism and they were given that legitimacy by the mainstream left and Democrats. But as we see, even with Trump out of the way for them, it's no surprise that they've gone on to do the exact same things they've done before. On Inauguration Day in Portland, what did they do? They masked up and brought weapons to destroy the DNC headquarters in Portland. There's a reason they do stuff like that. There's a reason they try to burn down federal courthouses. The Acts of terrorism that they do are not just caught on video, they, they celebrate it, they revel in that violence. And yet we are told over and over by uh, the chattering classes in the media and politicians on the left that these are just anti-fascists opposing the breath of white supremacy in our country.
And in some cases, Oregon is particularly egregious that the Oregon House Authority actually awarded $145,000 of federal COVID relief money to an Antifa group in Portland. So we're actually funding our own demise in some instances. Andy, I've tried to describe, actually, I've tried to get people from the Antifa group to come on the program. Never been successful at that. I've said, I'll give you the platform. You can tell us what you're all about. And yet, from the outside, the only thing I've been able to observe is that they are anti-capitalist, uh, that they oppose business, that they burn businesses, loot businesses, uh, they cause damage. They're anti-cop. They wish for the death of cops. They sometimes say to police officers face-to-face, -face, uh, sometimes even black police officers, they say, you should die and your family should die. Is that a more accurate description of what they're against? They're, they're against American society, America's system, economic system, and America's uh, a political system as well. And they are against all levels of authority, including, as you pointed out, uh, federal courthouses and wishing for the death of police officers. That's right. They view all these legs that make up the United States as pillars of fascism. Andy is the author of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. We're going to be back in just a moment uh, with a second segment with Andy No. Uh, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. Larson Show. Portland. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lawrence doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Big iron on his head. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm talking to Andy No, the journalist who began as a student journalist and is now one of the most recognized names in America. He's just come out with a brand new book, I Have My Copy, although some bookstores will not carry it on their shelves. You can certainly buy it online. It's called Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, uh, before we go back to this plan they have for establishing an anarchist state uh, under the flag of Antifa, uh, I had a friend who's passed away now, but she was a very well-known author, and she was at one point very proud that one of her books had been banned in Boston uh, because she said that actually added to book sales. But in your case, um, you're a bit infamous in that one of the largest bookstores in the United States of America literally says your ideas are so... I guess, antithetical to their political beliefs, they will not even put your book on its shelves. Would you mind speaking to the decision by a liberal bookstore owner, Emily Powell, to say, I won't put Andy No's book on the shelves. What does that say about what's inside that book and about the message that you brought by writing this book, Unmasked? Well, in my hometown, I grew up going to Powell's books. I love that store. I have so many memories there, and it was very painful to see uh, a Portland institution like Powell's, who every year, by the way, dedicates week, a whole week to books that are banned or face censorship somewhere around the world, a bookstore that 
has done so many noble and great things and exposed people to so many great ideas to take the step of immediately giving in to the demands of extremists in Portland by saying that they will not stock the book on its shelves. And this, and this decision was made weeks before the book's release, before any of them have even read it. However, with that said, I have such a sympathy for the owner. I know it's a family-owned business. Antifa have made threats, and they're good on carrying out with their threats particularly in Portland, and those threats usually involve things like fire and the shattering of windows. So pals are stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's too bad that ultimately they um, rejected some of their principles on standing for the right of the public to access any and all books that are published. However, um, they gave a certain win to Antifa, but even though they chose to not sell it, um, a lot of people ended up hearing about enough by the decision to at least partially ban the book until so they ordered it from elsewhere. And I'm very, very fortunate that so many um, Americans and people around the world uh, find enough um, to be an important book and worthy of buying and reading. And I'm talking to Andy No. He's the author. The book has just come out, Unmasked, uh, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, do you see echoes in this decision by Powell's? And I, I share some of your sympathy for Emily Powell, because if a group says we will break your windows, we may even burn your store down if you stock that book, I understand their, their concern. But do you see echoes in that of the same kind of attempts by tech media in, in America to say there are ideas that are so uh, unwelcome? that we will not allow people to say them on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, even to the point of some of the tech giants saying we will destroy a platform, even if it's not our platform, in this case, Parler, saying we won't let those ideas go out. How this is this to, to me, Andy, sell, smells like an anti-American idea to say rather than saying, yeah, if you've got crazy ideas, put them out there. But they're not going to find a willing audience of mine saying, you know, oh, I embrace that idea. These people appear to be afraid of what you've written in Unmasked. We live in a time now where these big tech monopolies can actually essentially do book burnings or erasures of people because they have such immense power. And the hypocrisy in all their platitudes about being against extremism and violence is that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram allowed anti-folk groups to organize and to promote their riots night after night after night in cities across America, and these accounts are still active. In fact, it was only after the inauguration that I think some of the tech giants took some, you pointed it out, in the Twitter feed that you still have. Uh, are you worried about being banned from social media as well at this point? Of course. Um, there were other journalists particularly, let's say, Sarah Jong of the New York Times. She lives in Portland, I believe. Um, she has her own scandal involving racist comments she's made in the past. But um, she was calling for me to be banned from Twitter. And she echoed something that showed me that she has more than just sympathies with Antifa. She said, essentially, that I am a, a threat and a danger to our community, which is the exact word that Antifa used um, 
in saying that I'm threatening them and in danger to them when I publish the information about their arrests and their charges and their booking searches. Well, Andy, is that kind of bigotry so very different from the bigotry America has famously rejected in, in the past, I don't know, century and a half, where we've said people who say we can't let people with dark skin live in our community. They were bigots, and we've disclaimed those ideas, said no, we can't, we, you know, we don't want that idea. We won't silence those people. We're not, but, or saying we can't have Jewish people living in our community or any other particular group. America's always said no, you can't deny people uh, the ability to live in your community, be part of your community, simply because of ideas. You can ban them or imprison them for their actions if they take violent action. But now, now we're trying to ban people because of the things they think and believe. Yes, and see, the thing about Antifa is that they really do think that they are sort of the end of history and that they have figured out the way to build a utopian society and they're willing to go to any means necessary to carry out that agenda. So when they do things like beat people on the head, on the face, when they shoot somebody, when they stab somebody, when they set fires to buildings, they actually think they're doing good. So I hope what readers take away from Unmasked is that we're not just dealing with a, a homegrown domestic terrorist movement and organizations and networks, we're dealing with this really dangerous ideology that has no um, mechanism for any moderation. Actually, the way that it is built is to make people more and more extreme. So that's why they revel in when one of their comrades will kill somebody. They actually think that's for good and they have no hesitation in destroying people's livelihoods. Portlanders will recognize that very clearly and that they will go after businesses that have been struggling because of the COVID-related restrictions and lockdowns. They celebrate that type of destruction and misery. So the one thing that Antifa needs credit for is that they're very, very good at destruction. That's the only thing they're good at. Given the time Andy, and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Could they really build, as you said, a community around the idea of just, of, of just random destruction, especially destruction of people who are already on hard times? Um, they can when they are given the opportunity and legitimacy to do so, as these leadership in Portland and Seattle and other cities have allowed, when city councils will slash tens, hundreds, or even a billion dollars, uh, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars from police budgets. Um, these people, they say that they want to get rid of the police, for example. They want to get rid of the police so that they can replace it with their own militia and security. The book is called Unmasked, Inside Antifa, Destroyed Democracy. Its author is the journalist Andy No. Andy, thank you so much for the time. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. The 40th President of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and happy Tuesday from the Radio Northwest Network. It is a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to jump into the best conversation, we'll certainly afford you the opportunity. But first, without getting too personal about it, I've got a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you. Number one, should schools punish your daughter for misbehavior more severely because she has white skin or cut her a break if she's a person of color? Now, before you call me crazy, I'm just going to tell you it's part of a union contract that just got negotiated. In other words, everybody focused on the money involved, and yet there was garbage like this in there as well. Should they punish her less if she says, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And more if she insists on actually being a girl as she was born a girl. And should kids who threaten to attack other students get an exemption from expulsion? I know, they all sound like crazy questions. I'm going to suggest to you they're only not crazy because they're actually in writing in a contract, and this is what's going to be coming at your kids if you insist on sending them to the failing government-run schools. In any case, I want to get into the details of this in just a moment. First, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on board for a little honestly provocative talk radio. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're always going to put you right to the head of the line just come equipped with a few facts, maybe a little bit of logic, make your point, and stick around for a couple of questions afterward at 866-439-5277. If you'd rather email, talk at LarsLarson.com. Doesn't get much easier than that. And then, of course, there's our Twitter poll, at LarsLarsonShow or at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, yesterday's question, should Congress force you to pay a tax on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all the other streaming services? And if you ask, what do they need the money for? When was the last time you ever heard the government say, we've got enough money, we don't need to raise any new taxes? Every time they see a tax, Democrats usually loathe new taxes. I might point out, as I did yesterday, that an awful lot of those streaming services, including Disney Plus, I'm not that crazy about Disney, but Disney Plus has apparently made no money whatsoever. 
So the government is going to put a tax on a business enterprise that doesn't actually earn a profit? What could possibly go wrong with that? So I said no to the idea. So did 97% of you. Only 3% of you said yes to a Netflix slash Hulu slash Amazon Prime slash Disney Plus tax. But let me get back to what this brand new contract says. So everybody paid attention because the teachers went on strike for three weeks and by the way they're getting paid for every day they were on strike plus they got strike pay during the strike plus they're gonna have makeup days and they'll get paid for that as well but part of that union contract says that school officials have to must consider a disruptive students race gender identity and sexual orientation when crafting that student's disciplinary plan when a student exhibits quote continuous disruptive behavior the new bargain between the union and its unionized teachers and the school district says school officials must develop a support plan for the student which can include discipline like detention the plan must take into consideration the impact of issues related to the student's trauma they don't explain that race gender identity and presentation sexual orientation and restorative justice as appropriate for the student i might suggest that the next time your kids talk to you about this if you say if you get in trouble at school tell them to, that today you identify uh... i don't know as a black lesbian uh, and you might even be thinking about changing your gender. Throw all that into the mix, you probably won't get any punishment at all. The new discipline policy also eliminates mandatory suspensions for students who threaten or actually harm other students. Right now, those students may only be removed from the classroom. They cannot be removed from the school altogether. And somebody tell me that actually makes sense, because one of the first emails I got this morning after I'd already planned to talk about this came from a person who withheld the name, but she signed herself pissed off Oregon parent. Hey, Lars, it basically sounds like the Portland public schools feel like if you're a white kid and you assault or threaten somebody or something of that sort, you face expulsion. I agree. But if you're a member of some other group, or member of the alphabet soup people, then you'll be sent off to a self-regulation space, whatever that is. Maybe because PPS thinks you don't know any better if you're not a privileged straight white kid. Either way, I've seen a lot of really wrong and stupid things come from public institutions in this state, but this one really stands out as going too far. Maybe it's because I have a school-aged son who is white. I don't know. But the public needs to be aware of this absurdity. If you're able to do a piece on your show, that would be cool. Other than that, best wishes and Merry Christmas. Signed, pissed off Oregon parent. And I wrote back to her and I said, look, I got to tell you something. I was already planning to talk about it, but your email just put the cherry on top. This is crazy. I want to see if we can get one naysayer who thinks that when a student misbehaves, that the school should take into account sexual orientation, gender orientation, racial orientation, actual skin color, and whether or not your child has suffered from any kind of trauma. And all of that gets wrapped in. And if you're a straight white kid, chances are you're going to get the full discipline that's allowed. But if you're not, then you're not. So consider that. Glad to have you with me on a Tuesday. Your call's always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Lar I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.